0: So thankful that Jesus paid the price for our sins, and did something so great that sometimes we cannot even fathom that. Well, if you're new today, we want to welcome you. And when you came in, you were given a bulletin, and then there are some notes that you can take out, or if you want to use the uh, our app, you can uh, take notes on there too. But we're also going to be answering some questions this Wednesday. So in your bulletin, there is a there is a card in there, and we're starting a series called "I Was Wondering," and it's a a two-part series uh, this Wednesday and next Wednesday. And what we're asking you to, you to do is if you have a question that you've always wanted answered, then can you just write that in and then drop it off at our information center because we'll be addressing these questions uh, this coming Wednesday and then the following Wednesday. And it could be all, any question. It could be about the Bible. It could be about a relationship or what does God say about this. It could be, you know, how do I change my husband? That one might take a long time, but that's okay. We can do whatever we can do and, and uh, find out in the Word of God what He says about those Uh, subjects but today this one word forgiveness that Jesus forgave us that there is forgiveness in Jesus is something that we actually have to learn because we don't naturally forgive it doesn't come to us naturally it's something that supernaturally must take place in order for us to forgive someone Especially when something has been done to us, there's a hurt or a pain or something that took place that now there's unforgiveness towards another person. We're going to need God's supernatural power to have forgiveness. When, when I was growing up, at about age uh, 12 is when I met my wife Heidi. And so uh, I, I came into her family at an early age. Well, as time went by, I remember being at her grandmother's house on different occasions. We'd had parties and things like that. I just remember the way I used to talk to her grandmother and her grandfather. But then I came to know Jesus at 19 years old, and then some years went by, and I, I just had this uneasiness. And have you ever had that uneasiness uh, against someone that, that maybe you, were, you, you didn't know better? But you just had, there was this rift in the relationship, and you couldn't put your finger on it. And the more I sought God, and I said, God, what is this? Why is there this, it's just not gelling with her grandparents. And the Lord says, because when you were a teenager, you were disrespectful to them. So you need to ask them for forgiveness. And so it was at a family gathering. We were celebrating one of the uncle's 25th wedding anniversary. And we were at this party. It was in a ballroom. And I felt the Lord once again say, you need to ask them for forgiveness. So I went up to her grandparents and I said, hey, grandma, grandpa, uh, can I talk to you for a minute just real quick? They said, sure. I said, can we go outside? They said, yeah. So we went right outside of the ballroom and I, and I said, hey, grandma, grandpa, um, you know, as we were growing up, I, I, I probably said some things to you and, and uh, disrespected you. I, I wasn't kind to you. And so can you forgive me? And they said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "Well, you know, I, I, I know I I wasn't, you know, the most kindest person, but I, I just want to ask you if you can forgive me for the way I treated you while we were growing up." And and Heidi's grandmother, so gracious, she said, "Yeah, of course." You were a teenager. You were so young. You didn't know anything. You were just so young. You didn't know what you are doing. And, and so I said, yeah, you're right. I was arrogant and prideful. She goes, yeah, absolutely. You're forgiven. Her grandfather, same thing. You're forgiven. You're okay. It was probably three weeks or maybe even a month later that her grandfather passed away. And I thought to myself, I wonder what I would have been going through if I never had that, if I never, if I never asked for forgiveness and never seized the opportunity to do so. And I'm wondering maybe some of you are here today and, and maybe you're on that side. Maybe maybe you had unforgiveness or you never asked someone for forgiveness and maybe they did pass away or maybe you didn't make things right and you're wondering, "Well, how, how do I how do I fix that because that's still in my heart?" Well, God's forgiveness is beyond our own comprehension. The peace of God is beyond understanding that you can still go to God and make things right because there's something in the heart that we just cannot fix naturally, that we're going to need God's supernatural power in order for this thing called unforgiveness to be resolved, even though someone else has passed on. One day we were serving in our kitchen, and I was in the youth ministry at that time, so I was in my 20s, and we're serving breakfast, and here comes this this, uh, man, and he comes to the counter and he kind of knocks on the counter, he goes, Hey, coffee. And I said, oh, Excuse me? He said, Coffee, coffee, no more coffee. And I said, Oh, um, I, I didn't know how to make coffee. So I said, And these are all youth. So I turned to them. I'm thinking, Do anybody know how to make coffee? They're like, I don't even know how to make my bed. I don't know how to make coffee. And I said, No one knows how to make coffee. They said, No. So I, I, I said to the man, I said, You know what? I'm so sorry. We don't know how to make coffee. And he said, What, what kind is this? What kind of church this? You know more coffee? You know how to make coffee? You're in the kitchen? And he's pointing at me. So the Waimanalo came up. So, because that's where I'm from, and how dare you speak like this to me? So, so I, I said to him, I said, Do you know how to make coffee? And he said, What? I said, Well, you, you drink coffee. I'm, I'm sure you know how to make coffee. Can you make the coffee? And he said, do you know who you're talking to? And and I'm thinking, but I'm in church, so I can't say what I really want to say. So I said, I said, um. No, but if you want coffee, you can make it yourself. And so, can you feel the tension? I still feel the tension. So, and that was you know 20 years ago. So I I said, um. So he, he stormed off. He said, fine, fine. You don't make coffee. You don't need coffee. I'll go find somebody else to make coffee. So he, he left. And then um, our youth pastor, he said, hey, Sheldon, can I talk to you real quick? Now, I'm thinking he's going to praise me. I'm thinking because the other students are like, yeah, you tell them. You know, I felt good about myself. So the, the, the pastor takes me on the side, and he says, hey, um, I just wanted to let you know, you, you got to be careful when you speak to people like that. And I'm thinking, did I hear him correctly? Is he saying I spoke wrong? So I said, wait, what, you mean I shouldn't have spoken like that? He said, yeah, you cannot treat people like that. You've got to treat people with the love of God. I was like, did you hear what that guy said? I don't think you should correct that guy. I'm in my 20s. He's in his later 50s. He should know better. He's a leader in the church, so why is he treating me like this? So he said, yeah, yeah, but, but God is doing something in you. So you need to make it right with that man. You need to ask him for forgiveness. <laughs> I said, I, I am not asking him for forgiveness. So I struggled with it for three years. Three years it took me. Finally, I went to him and I, I made things right. I said, can, I, can you forgive me? I did some dumb things. I said some things. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. And the moment I asked for forgiveness, the moment he forgave me, our relationship clicked. Like something supernatural took place i i I couldn't explain what it was but there was a peace that came over me and i'm wondering maybe for some of us there's just an uneasiness inside of us or something that's not right maybe a relationship that's been there's a rift or you drifted from that relationship maybe there's unforgiveness there maybe we need forgiveness by god or something but we're still we're still trapped because of this thing called unforgiveness when i was growing up i'm six years younger than my brother my oldest brother so while he's in his teens and he's working he's making money i'm here as a 10 12 year old seeing money in his room so i go in there sneak some money it's called stealing but i was thinking i'm just going to use it not stealing use it without him knowing so as I'm taking money from him and, and uh, doing these things and did other things, used his things, um, uh, took his bike without asking, you know, just little things like that. Uh, later on in life, as I grew up, came to know Jesus at 19 years old. Later on in my 20s, I remember as as I felt God calling me more into ministry that I needed to make things right with my brother. So I remember going to him one day and I said, hey, Nathaniel, can I, can I talk to you real quick? He said, yeah, sure. And uh, I said, you know, you know, when you were growing up, <laughs> I, I stole a lot from you and I did certain things. And, and, and remember that time where you had that bounce check and, and that fraudulent check? He goes, yeah. I said, that was me. Um, can you forgive me? And he says, yeah, I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. I forgave you a long time ago. I knew it was you. <laughs> I said, what? He goes, who else going to be? It had to have been you. So he forgave me, and I I thought, how long I was carrying this guilt? And he forgave me so long time ago. Now, who was the one imprisoned? Was it he or I? Yeah, it was me. Listen, unforgiveness keeps us prisoner, not the other person. See, when Jesus calls us to forgive, he's actually setting us free. And sometimes we think, no, if I, if I hang on to this, then they're going to know what damage they did to me. Or if I hang on to this, then people will know that, I, that I've been through a lot. Or I don't know if I can forgive this person because it still hurts. And when I see them, I can't stand to see their face. I don't know how to forgive. It's just that difficult. And you still feel imprisoned. And I thought, you know what, let me look up some statistics when it comes to prison. Did you know that there are over 2.2 million people in prison right now in the United States of America, in our country? More people are in prison. 2.2 million people than any other nation in the world. Our country has the highest prison population There are over 5,000 jails and prisons in the U.S., more than colleges. And with that statistic, you have many parts of our country that there are more people in jail than there are people on campus or college students on campus. More people in jail. Incarceration costs us as taxpayers over $70 billion, billion dollars each year so tell me being in prison does not cost but as staggering as these statistics are 2.2 million people and probably more this was last year's statistics that there are more people over 2.2 million people who are imprisoned by unforgiveness around the world even in our own nation. A lot more people. We don't need to be behind bars to be in prison. All it takes is a little hanging on to unforgiveness. But thanks be to God that He gave us a way to give forgiveness as well as to be forgiven. In Matthew chapter 18, I'm going to read a story, and you may have heard this story before. But Jesus is giving a parable, a story, in what forgiveness looks like. And He he, It begins in this way, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It says that Peter came to Jesus, and Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of those that Jesus called to follow him, and and Peter was a fisherman. Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, Peter uses this number because three was like, you are holy. Someone does something against you, you forgive them. Oh, that's great. Good job. Someone does the same thing to you second time and you forgive them. It's like, wow, you're so merciful. They do it to you a third time and you forgive them. You are like holy. It's like, wow, this guy is, he's, he's very loving and compassionate. So Peter wants to sound really, really good. He says, hey, uh, like what? Seven times, Jesus, can I, if I need to forgive someone? And, And Jesus, so, so graciously, he says, you know, Peter, I don't say up to to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, Jesus was saying to Peter, it's not the amount. Because unless you know how much you've been forgiven, you're not even going to be able to give forgiveness when it's that difficult. You need to know I love you more than you are holding unforgiveness towards someone else than that. I love you more. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus continues, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts. So he gives him this story. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. So here comes a servant to his master. Jesus uses once again the highest number because when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is another level of living. Jesus just raises the standard. And so he says, This guy owes him 10,000 bags of gold. In other words, a trillion dollars, let's just say. Jesus is using this high number. He says, let's just say you owed your master a trillion dollars. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be, be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. In other words, he was forgiven one trillion. He finds someone who owes him 10 bucks, and he goes to that person who owes him $10, and he says, he grabs him by the throat and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me, and he demanded that it be paid back. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. The same thing his servant is doing to him is the very same thing he did to his master but he refused to forgive him you would think that he was forgiven 10 he was forgiven a trillion dollars 10,000 bags of gold you would at least be able to forgive this guy 10 bucks some silver coins but he refused instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt when the other servant saw what had happened they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant! I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as you had, this as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus concludes with this. He says that this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Jesus is basically letting us know that all that we've been forgiven nowhere compares to what other people have done to us. It's so small compared on what we've done to God. That he says, I've forgiven you this much and when someone sins against you, it's just so tiny compared to how much I've forgiven you. So we actually do not forgive others with our account. We forgive others through his account because we don't have what it takes as human beings. We only have a couple silver coins. He says, "I I have bags of gold that I've forgiven you with. My forgiveness is... It's not limited, it is unlimited, it is limitless. This word forgive in the Old Testament actually meant, when it was between two people, it meant to lift up, to bear up, to carry. In other words, we we carry each other's burdens when there is forgiveness given. When forgiveness came from God, it meant to pardon, to be forgiving, to be free, to have the freedom. But in the New Testament, they used it as a banker's term. In fact, that's what Jesus was referring to. Because they could understand it better. That this word forgiveness is used to let go of a debt. To set free or to release. See, forgiveness is an incredible word. It's a word that we use sometimes. And some people say, but I can't forgive people for what they've done to me. And what happens when we cannot forgive someone, we actually destroy ourselves, Because forgiveness is... Really releases the other person, but it also, more importantly, releases you. So when forgiveness is given, it releases two people the one who needed it and the one who gave it. Otherwise, we stay imprisoned. And when I see someone who is unforgiving, I see a person who has lost touch with who they are. They have lost touch with the dreams and goals and the plans that God has for them. They've forgotten who they are in God. See, we all need forgiveness daily. We say things, we do things, and when we don't forgive others, we've forgotten that we ourselves have made mistakes. We have some failures, some shortcomings, or we did things or said things that have hurt others. I look at unforgiveness in this way Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, thinking the other person is going to die. That you see the other person, you need to forgive them, but no, I'm going to hang on to this. <laughs> How come they're not dying? Okay, And I'm holding this unforgiveness at you because you hurt me. And little by little, you're dying while the other person is free. They're looking at you like, what's wrong with you? They're coughing. No, you're dying. Why? Because there's unforgiveness there. They're free. And many times they don't even know they hurt you. And we're hanging on to something that is killing us. That's what unforgiveness does. That's why Jesus was so strong on the amount. He said, listen, 10,000 bags of gold compared to a couple silver coins. You're dying. I've forgiven you all of that. Now you can forgive. See, when it comes to Jesus and forgiveness, we need to remember these three things. Here's the first thing. Forgiveness frees us. That's what forgiveness does. It it, it frees us, which means unforgiveness, it, it traps us, it imprisons us. That's why Jesus used that analogy, that parable, that when there was an unmerciful servant, when the servant wasn't willing to forgive the debt of that person, he ended up in prison. That's what unforgiveness does. Some of us, we have this guilt, and so we don't know how to forgive. Guilt actually pushes us away from God. It's the conviction of understanding forgiveness, the conviction of who God is, the conviction of God's love that draws us near to God. Guilt is external. Guilt says your past, your mistakes, what that person did to you, so there's guilt, or what you did to someone else, there's guilt. That's all external. But when it comes, when it comes to conviction, now that's internal. It's who God is making you to be, what God is speaking to you, bringing health to your soul. That's deep conviction, and it draws us closer to God, not looking at our past. It's looking at our future, the plans that God has for us. Because forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a releasing. The feelings catch up after. It may take some time, but it's freeing. In John chapter 8, I'm going to read a story. If you were in Matthew, just go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. And in the book of John, there is a story about an adulterous woman. Now, we may have read this story before, but in the first verse, John chapter 8, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman... Caught in adultery. Well, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? But they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Well, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he says, Woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, it can almost seem like Jesus was just letting her go, that, you know, no big deal. You're caught in adultery. Everyone makes mistakes. You're free. No, he said, he said, go and sin no more. But before he said that, he says, you know, I don't condemn you. But at the same time, what you're doing is unhealthy. So go and and sin no more. You're forgiven, but don't continue because it's going to be devastating to your life. Now, we can finish the story there, and it sounds, oh, God's grace is so good. And this woman came to the knowledge of, of her sin and understanding, and now she's set free, and, and now she's she's free to go about her business. But here's what we forget. That when these men brought this woman, you don't have adultery by yourself. Where was the man? The women are like, yeah, where's the man? Where's the man in this story? Well, they bring him. Who knows? He could have been one of the guys holding one of the stones. It could have been one of him hiding in the crowd. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Hide my face. You, you don't know what was happening. All I know is they brought this woman, and then they try to use scripture and they say, No, the law of Moses says to bring this woman. The law of Moses didn't say that. The law of Moses, the law of God, if you read in the book, uh, in, in the Bible, it says you're to bring the man and woman. And they're both supposed to be stoned to death. So their doctrine was wrong from the very beginning. Why? Because that wasn't their heart's desire. Their heart's desire wasn't justice, their heart's desire was condemnation. If our heart's desire is condemnation, we will never forgive. But if our heart's desire is for someone else and ourselves to be set free from that which condemns us, then Jesus neither condemns us. And he says, you're free. Leave that life of sin. You're forgiven. It's amazing how when Jesus gives this story and 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 not just the story of the merciful servant, but when he tells these men, "Whoever has no sin, you cast the first stone," that this woman was set free. But I wonder what happened to the man, because I wonder if his guilt still remained. Maybe he was watching from a distance. Maybe he heard later that Jesus forgave her, and is he still carrying his guilt? And maybe he stopped and he says, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so I, I, I'm going to be okay. But did you know that even though this man may have stopped, it still did not erase his guilt? See, the stopping of sin doesn't erase the guilt. Forgiveness does. Because we can come to a place that we say, no, this is not good for me, I'm going to stop but we still carry the guilt. Jesus offers forgiveness. That's what sets us free. It's it's his forgiveness. It's not just stopping what we're doing. It's, Lord, I need your forgiveness. It's like the multimillionaire who was giving to charities, and he was in an interview, and they asked him, you know, why do you give? Why do you give to charities so much? He says, well, when I was younger, I just made some horrible mistakes. I made some sins. And so I, I made a decision long ago that I was going to do well. And then I was going to give to great charities and, and, and leave that lifestyle so that I could now do great things. He says, yeah, but how do you stay motivated? What do you, how do you continue to give? Here's what his answer was. Guilt. Guilt. It's a guilt. That's your motivation? You say, yeah, because I've done so many things that were bad. Guilt is my feel. Now just think about that. Some of us operate on guilt. We've done something, said something, so we feel like we have to pay back. I've done something to hurt my spouse, so i got to pay back. i got to be nice now. I gotta and, and, and sometimes someone has an iron fist over us, holding that over us, Knowing that because they did this, you need to now pay back what you did. And so now we have this control because someone's guilt is still there. But guilt never frees us. It still keeps us imprisoned, and it imprisons now both people. It'll take the forgiveness of God for us to be cleansed from all of that. Guilt can motivate you, but it will never free you. Forgiveness does. It's His forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. Yeah, there are great things in that prayer, but He also included, and forgive us our sins. And let's read this second part together. Ready? Go. As we have forgiven those who sin against us. You know what Jesus was saying? Forgiveness is not a one-way thing. It's not just from us to another person. It's given by God so that we can give it to other people. Forgive us our sins, Lord, as we forgive others who have also sinned against us. We stop that flow by unforgiveness. And Jesus was teaching the disciples, he's teaching us, that forgiveness is not just something we do, it's an outflow of the love of God that is given to the rest of the world in and through us at the same time. As we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. That's the forgiveness that God gives to us. It frees us. Here's the second thing. That there is no sin Jesus cannot forgive. There is no sin that Jesus cannot forgive. Now, I'm sure some of you, some of you who understand the Bible, you're saying, wait a minute, isn't there a scripture that says there is one sin that is unpardonable? It's the unpardonable sin. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. When there is a sin Which means you miss the mark. It's a it's an archer's term that you miss the bullseye. That's what sin is. That when you miss the mark, you've sinned. You've sinned against God. We miss the mark with God. Here's a sin. If I say this is okay, I can I can do that. That's not sin. I call sin what I want sin to be. If it's not sin, I cannot be forgiven on something I don't even think is a sin. Because I won't even ask for forgiveness. Because I don't think it's sin. That's exactly where our world is today. What God calls sin, we say, but I like this, so it's not sin. Then I will never be forgiven of it because I never think it is sin. So that's the context of that one sin. It's calling what is is sin, not sin. It's not recognizing that this is sin and saying, it's not sin. But when I can acknowledge that, Lord, this is, I'm missing the mark, Lord. I have sinned. There is no sin that he cannot forgive. And he gives it to us freely. Now, you might ask, how is this even possible? How can God just forgive? How does he even do that? Because there are evil things that happen in our world. And and God can freely forgive them if they ask for forgiveness absolutely no that's not even possible like i can i can imagine god forgiving me because i just done some small things but these people are evil how can he forgive them i have a son he's 29 years old and when he was younger i remember coming home one day and he's washing my truck so i'm feeling good as a father i'm thinking wow thank you for washing the truck he sees me coming home he's like real happy washing my truck And then I get closer, and he says, Daddy, I'm washing your truck. I said, thank you. And I'm looking. He's using a green scrub rag. You know the ones you use to scrub the pans? Yeah, he's using that to scrub my truck. So he's washing the truck, and I'm thinking, no. (laughs) But I knew his heart. I knew what he was doing. He didn't know any better. And I instantly forgave him. I didn't hold it against him. Plus, he was four. What I was going to do, tell him, repaint the car? It was easy to forgive him. He didn't know what he was doing. Now remember, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There are certain things we do, certain things that people do against us. They just don't know what they're doing. And we hold on to forgiveness. Now there are things that we absolutely know what we're doing, but he still forgives us. Why? Because just as a father can easily forgive son or daughter or mother easily forgive their children for spilling something it's because of your love for them that god's love for us causes him to freely forgive us because we're all his children so he can forgive us my son jordan he's 23 right now but I'm not sure how old he was. We're we're lying in the in our our living room and we had this uh, exercise machine that has a bench on it, so you can you know how you can put it up to save space. And it was one of those like those crossbow or bow flex kind of things. So we're we're lying down on the ground and we're just talking story. Well, when you clip it up, you're supposed to screw in the knob. We forgot to do that. And so we're lying underneath this thing, and my son Jordan is playing with the, the cables and he's talking with me, and then all of a sudden I just feel this bang on my face, just a quick blackout. And I had had no idea what happened. And I feel this this thump on my chest. And then I'm like, what in the world just happened? And I look up, the bench is on my face. The footing of the bench was on my face. And some of it hit my son Jordan in his chest. So he's like, ah. He looks at me, he goes, Dad, are you, I'm so sorry, Dad, I'm so sorry. I said, hang on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're okay. I said, we're fine. We're okay, Jordan. We're fine. But I forgave him long before I checked my face. It was was easy because he didn't know it was an accident. I didn't hold it against him. He just did something that was a mistake. Easily forgivable. And that's how God is with us. Sometimes we, we don't know We're learning about the things of God. And then later on we find out, shucks, I did that. And God says, I got you covered. That's why I went to the cross. To to pay for your sins because you, you will not understand everything that is happening in life. But when you come to the knowledge of it, now you're more accountable. And it's in that that, yes, when you ask for forgiveness, I will forgive you. Because Jesus loves us more than our failures, our sins, our past mistakes. Sin causes death. When sin came into the world, the wages of sin is death. So here's what takes place. Because sin causes death, Jesus had to die for our sins. And when he died for our sins, he went to the grave. And then Jesus rose again, but our sins did not. Sin doesn't have the power over the grave. Sin is the grave. The wages of sin is death. So when Jesus died for all of the sins of the world, sin and death, We're satisfied. But we, because of our human nature, still reap the consequences of sin from the very beginning, so we die. It's the wages of sin. Our bodies die, but our spirits can live on. Now, there's the second death. It's eternal separation from God. When Jesus died and rose again, those who believe in Him will rise with Him. So now we have sin and death that has been conquered by Christ. Sin and death no longer have power over Christ nor over those of us who believe in him. Oh, death, where is your sting? We've been forgiven by God. We've been accepted in him. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 tells us that if we say we have no sin, we actually deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're declared righteous in the eyes of God and He forgives us. And because He forgives us, we can now forgive each other. And here's the last thing. This is what forgiveness does. It releases. Forgiveness releases our God-given potential. So what it does. It doesn't restrict us. It doesn't hinder us forgiveness releases our god-given potential now some of you have dogs and maybe you go running with your dog or you take your dog walking maybe put he uh your, your dog he or she on a leash and you take them walking well i have a dog he's a pit bull mastiff so he's a short stocky dog with a huge tyrannosaurus rex head no neck just head and then body and he's a, he's short he's about four years old and he's stocky so when I run with him, I have a leash on him because he gets distracted by stray cats and like birds that are flying around. So he wants to chase all these, all these animals. Well, as I run with him, I have to restrict him because if not, he will, he will go all over the place. But when we come home, the moment we reach our yard, I go to a certain place and then I unleash him and then he runs in the backyard where it's fenced in and then he can play in the back. He's now set free from the restraint of this leash. That's what unforgiveness does. It restrains us from our God-given potential. It holds us back. And unforgiveness restrains us like a leash to a dog. But when you're when you're set free, you're now able to run with your God-given potential. But we do have an adversary. The devil himself, and he's sneaky. He's crafty. There was a fire in our home. It was on the stove. It was a, a pan that you know when it just catches fire, the flames come up, maybe oil or something. We know what not to do: not to throw water on it, or scream and throw it all over the place. We know not to do that. Well, someone was in the kitchen panicking, and I forget who it was because there was just flames and smoke and, And so they're panicking, fire, trying to hit it with the the cloth, the towel. And there's oil there, so it's making it worse. It's getting bigger. And I could see that it looks like they were going to go to the sink and get water and throw it on the thing. So I just calmly walked them and said, I got this. It's okay. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, you get a cover and you cover it. So I just grabbed the the cover of the pan and just calmly put it over the fire. And the fire snuffed out. It's done. That's exactly what the devil does with the fire that God has given to us to follow him and the potential that he sees in us. Yeah, when God puts that fire in our hearts, we got to fan that flame, the Bible tells us. But the devil sometimes will come over and he'll say, oh, you know that person who hurt you? Yeah, you should hang on to that unforgiveness. Really? Yep, and he takes the cover and he puts it right over our hearts and snuffs out the fire that God first put into us. But Jesus is able to lift that up and once again spark our hearts to once again follow God and the God-given potential that he first gave to us. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 46, there's a story of a, a sinful woman they called her. And in this, in this story, we find Jesus once again showing his love. In verse 36, Luke chapter 7, says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, a Pharisee is a teacher of religious law, and Jesus called them Pharisees because they were hypocrites, and he challenged them on that. But a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this were a prophet, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Well, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher. He said, Jesus said, well, you know, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50.